0: But uh as we come now to the scripture, may I ask you to please uh pray with me. Uh Father in heaven, um your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Uh, say that through it, through it you will equip us for every good work. And so I pray that. All of that will prove true this morning, as we consider this your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, turn, please, to Ruth, Old Testament, little book. Ruth, I want to read the second chapter? It's long, but it's not that long. You should be able to listen, follow along. Ruth chapter 2, please. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So they came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before me The lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward will be given you by the lord The god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge and then she said I have found favor in your eyes my lord For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though. I am not one of your servants At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out from uh, some from the bundles of her for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth said, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides he said to me you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest And Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law It is good my daughter that you go out with these young women lest in another field you be assaulted So she kept close to the young woman uh, young women of Boaz gleaning until the end of The barley and wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law And so together we say the grass withers the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, we're in the midst of a story, um, uh, the life of a particular family. Um, Elimelech, Elimelech uh, was the husband, Naomi, uh, the wife, the sons, Melon and Chilion. We met them all in the previous uh, chapter. You remember, this is taking place during the day's of the judges. Now, when the narrator lays that out in the first verse of the first chapter, it should make us shudder because we should realize that the days of the judges were bad days for Israel. You might remember that God had made a covenant with Abraham that he carried on through Isaac and, and Jacob, and he said that you're going to have many descendants, and through your people, all the, all the families of the earth will be, will be blessed. And we, we see these descendants of Abraham coming together. In fact, uh, they ultimately find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And Moses goes to deliver them. And the reason Moses goes to deliver them is because the scripture says that God remembered his covenant. And it isn't that he'd forgotten it in the sense that, oh, I forgot that was really there. But now he's going to act upon it. And he hears the cries of his people and they appeal to him. And so Moses goes and the people, as you remember, uh, leave uh, uh, Egypt. And they come to Mount Sinai where God, in a sense, confirms his covenant with them and says to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the sense of it. He says, you're mine and I'm yours. I'm your God and you are my people, and you remember there were some difficulties, some decades where they wandered, but after Moses died, Joshua takes the people into this land of promise, and God has said to them if you 're faithful to me in this land, I will bless you in every way imaginable i 'll bless your crops i 'll bless your wombs i 'll bless you and protect you and keep you and my people, but if you 're unfaithful, then i 'll discipline you the curse a curse will come." Uh, Upon you Moses had warned even before they went into the land. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord when you become prosperous uh, The tendency for you will be to think it's your wisdom and your strength and 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 all of that that got you What you have but 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 realize that isn't the case. It's God Who gave you wisdom and gave you strength and gave you opportunity and all of that. So don't forget him. They forgot him And so we see in the book of Judges The cycle where they're faithful to God and then they're unfaithful to God. And and, and then God brings this discipline, the curse upon them. But God always promised. He said, listen, if you repent and return to me, I'll forgive you and I'll restore you. And so we see that happening over and over again in the book of Judges. Although things get worse as we come to the end. And it seems increasingly simply to be rebellion and darkness And the book of Judges ends with the refrain to describe the period that says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we wonder... If you're reading through the Bible and you get to that point in Judges, so now what? What's going to happen now uh, is this promise to Abraham ever going to be fulfilled. What's going to happen to these people. It doesn't look good for them. And, and so we have this little book of Ruth and it's as if God reaches into this whole time period and, and pulls out this one uh, family for us and says, I want you to look closely here. And, and what we'll find as we work our way through, there's much encouragement and hope, but especially at the end. So, so wait for the end. But but, but, but God says, I want you to see this. And, and for the Israelites throughout their history, and even for us, this is a story that should be told and told and told and told uh, so that we can see how it is that God works so that we can have hope and encouragement. Now, you might remember that there was a famine in the land as this book opens. Uh, and so these folks from Bethlehem, Leave. Now you can say, okay, famine, that's not good. It must have been a time of decline in Israel. Now, what strikes us as we read this, at least the first striking point, is that they decided to leave Bethlehem, which means house of food, house of bread, and leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. And you, you say, well, in one sense, that seems sensible. I mean, there's food in Moab. There's not food here. Maybe it's even courageous of Elimelech to take his family there because why wouldn't a dad, a husband say, let's go where there's food? Well, the reason they wouldn't is because they're Israelites. And God had said, when these things happen, uh, you'll know that you're not being faithful to me. and, And so repent. And if you repent and return to me, Come to me, not to Moab, but if you go to me, then I'll restore you and, and bless you. But yet they, they leave and you wonder, Well, how are they going to worship God in Moab? Where will they make their sacrifices? And the Moabites were a godless people. In fact, God had warned them even before this time. God had warned them, don't go with the Moabites. Because they're the ones who were trying to lure you away from worshiping me. And so we're rather stunned just as this little story opens. Time of the judges. Famine. Family. Leave. Go to Moab. And then we read that Elimelech dies. We weren't expecting that. But at at least Naomi, his wife, has sons. They marry Moabite women and you go... And then the sons die. And if you know anything about the culture of the day, you know that the most vulnerable person in the culture is a widow, especially a widow without sons. And now there's three widows. There's Naomi, there's Orpah, and there's Ruth. And this is so devastating that even the narrator puts it like this in verse 5. And he said, um, the well, middle verse 4, so they lived there in Moab about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion, the sons, died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. He doesn't even name her. She went from being Naomi, which means pleasant, to just being this woman. It's as if she has no name. She's just there, and he expects us to feel that to feel the isolation, to see the vulnerability. And then we think, so what's going to happen? Well, well, the next thing that we come across is that that, that now there's there's food in Bethlehem, food where uh, she had uh, been before, her homeland. And so she decides to return. And so uh, she she gets ready to return, but Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, follow with her. And she says, "No, no, no, no! Don't come with me. You don't understand. Uh, I, I was full, and now I'm empty. Uh, I, I, my life was pleasant, now it's bitter. Uh, there's absolutely positively nothing I can I can help you with. I I can't give you any. Uh, I can't give you a husband. I'm I'm old, uh, and even if I married now, you, you can wait for the sons to be born. And so go back home. Uh, everything's there for you." parents your family everything you know and and there could be husbands there for you to marry and so you you could live and eventually orpah says all right i'll go back and she does but but ruth will have none of it and you say well why why does ruth have none of it in this situation well she loves naomi you you get that sense of it as well but there's something else she's willing to leave all of moab behind and go to bethlehem go to israel why because that's where God is. And she says, Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And you're, you're hearing the narrator say that and you go, Ruth gets it. Somehow, some way, in the midst of all of that, she really sees the covenant because because she's in a sense putting herself in the in this very formula that God has said This is what it means to be in covenant with me. This is what it means to be mine. That I'm your God and you're my people. She says, your people, my people, your God, my God. We see that and so uh, they return. And that's where we leave them there. At the end of chapter one. Naomi's commentary on her life is that I went away full and I came back empty. Her commentary on her life is that it was once pleasant, Naomi, but now call me Mara, bitter. Ruth's commentary on the situation is, your people are my people, your God is my God. And the narrator tells us something, that the barley harvest has just begun. But but you wonder well, what really awaits them in Bethlehem? What really re- awaits them in, in 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 this place now? Here they've come back, and they're poor. They have nothing. Don't romanticize this. They're essentially homeless. They're not in the Holiday Inn. They're not in the house of relatives. They're 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 they're, they're on the worst part of town. They're the most vulnerable people around. People have noticed that they're back and they notice the change in Naomi. But there they are and they're poor and you wonder, so what will be the reception? What will be the reception by the, the people in Bethlehem? What will be the reception even even, even by God? Huh. And, and I know some of you wonder that as well. It might be some of you who just wandered in here this morning and you say, I, I need to return, I need to... Return to God. And you're wondering, what will I find? What awaits me when I go into that church? What awaits me as I return to the Lord? Some of you may have been sitting here for years and you're thinking the very same thing. Oh, you haven't left physically. You haven't come from anywhere. You've been here, but, but you know your heart. You know your life. And you're thinking, what awaits me if i if i really return what awaits me if i really confess what awaits me if i really repent what awaits me from these people what awaits me from god what should i expect to find you see and some of you as you share the faith with others uh, what do you expect that they're going to find if they come to the Lord and they confess their sins and they repent to receive the Lord through Jesus uh, what can you tell them will await in the context of, of, of their lives, await in the context of the church what if those who you share the faith with and they repent and believe and you say come to church but they're very different than the average church gracer what would await them? They came here. What will await them in the course of their life as they live following Jesus? What would you, what would you tell them? So, so what, what will await Ruth and Naomi as they're back in Bethlehem? Well, the narrator begins with a wink. He wants to kind of give us a bit of a heads up. He's telling a story. And even if it's written down, there's no bolding in this text or anything like that. But I said, give us a little heads up. Tell us something they don't know. I always like it when Bible narrators do that. So they tell us a little something that they don't quite know yet. And what he says this, and Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. It just kind of shows up there. And you go, all right. No, no, we know that family is important in israel we know that relatives can do a great deal for others especially for those in difficulty we know for instance that a man could marry his brother's widow have a child with his brother's widow raise that child so that the inheritance would go to that child and so the inheritance the property of his brother would remain in his name you go that's nice we also know that if, if a family in Israel enters into poverty in some way, they have to sell their land, which was vital to them. It was their inheritance. It was their, their namesake, if you will, their land. If they would sell their land because they were in poverty, we know that a, a close relative could come in and buy it. In fact, there would be a certain obligation for them to be reading the paper and say, Oh, my, my cousin just sold this property. I need to go. It has this property up for sale. I better go buy it. So it stays in the family. So so we know there's something there about family. Boaz. Hold that. So Ruth knows something about Israel. And so she says to Naomi, really, it's in a humble way of asking permission. She says, uh, can I go and glean in a field? Now, that gives us the indication, of course, that they're poor. That's what the poor in Israel did. God had set up a wonderful way for those in poverty, if they could, to help themselves, if you will. And so he instructed uh, those who were harvesting not to harvest around the corners of their fields. Just sort of leave that. And if they dropped anything, they were just to let that go. And the reason for that is so that those who are poor could come and go around the edges and know they'd find something, at least food for the day. And so Ruth is saying, we have nothing. If, If if somebody doesn't go out and get some food, we won't eat today. That's the situation which they were. And so she says, I want to go this. But she says, I want to go and find a field in which I might find favor, grace. Now, why did she say that? Why couldn't she just say, hey, this is the law, so here I am, you've got to let me do this. Well, a number of reasons. One is it's the time of the judges, and they didn't always follow the law. And number two, uh, life is life. And it could be dangerous for a woman in a field with a group of men, sadly. But she also knew that she was a foreigner. Now, God was always very gracious to foreigners. He always told the Israelites, be nice to these people coming into our land, because remember who you are. <laughs> you were once foreigners and sojourners as well. So how can you keep people out when, when when you were just like them in certain places? And so she knew that, but still, foreigners aren't always well accepted. And so there she was. She knew she would have to find Grace. Find favor in someone's field. Now remember, she doesn't have a clue about this Boaz guy. And Boaz isn't even on Naomi's radar. But we know that. So then, Naomi says, sure, so she set out. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. We go, whoa. Bullets. And it says she happened to come upon it. Really, the Hebrew says she chanced chance. I mean, the best English translation, all the commentators say, um, is simply to say that it was luck. I mean, that's what, the, that's what the, we're trying to see here, that it was just an accident. I mean, she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know. Now we know, as good Christian people, there's no such thing as luck. You know, that God is sovereign over all things. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson, as he comments on this uh, particular section of Ruth, uh, puts it like this. He says, Can you imagine yourself seated around a campfire listening to this story? Do you not see a little smile playing on the lips of the narrator? He knows that nothing just happens. We know that nothing just happens. But he also knows, like Ruth that our understanding and appreciation of the ways of God and our ability to guess what he is going to do are very limited indeed. As theologians put it in succinct fashion, events that are certain to God are unpredictable and contingent from our point of view. As as we look at them, we go, well, this depends on that, and that depends on this, and if this happens, and that happens. And he said, well, that's our perspective. God has a little different perspective. Since says, there are many things in our lives that seem to happen to us by happenstance. Things that we may never understand. From Ruth's point of view, things do just happen. She has no idea about the significance of gleaning in Boaz's field. She probably doesn't even know who Boaz is. She certainly does not know where God is providentially leading her. The providence of God, as John Flavel, old dead guy, cleverly put it, are like the Hebrew words... They can only be read properly backwards. You know, Hebrew, it goes the wrong way. It goes from right to left rather than left to right. He said, that's how we understand the providence of God. Forgive me for reading another paragraph or two. I was trying to steal this from Sinclair Ferguson, but he says it better than any way I could come up with. It. He says, here then, the author, It's helping us to view our lives as though they were being played out on a split screen on which we see both the sovereignty of God and his lordship over all the details of our lives and also the contingency or unpredictability of the events of the world in which we live. From a human point of view, everything could be quite different from the way that it is. Yet at the same time, we recognize that in the midst of our confusion and the happenstances and surprises of life, there is a sovereign God in heaven whose hand is upon us every moment of the day. A God who reigns over every inch of the universe in which we live. So we know that nothing just happens. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. That's why we can be quietly confident. Not because we know exactly what God is doing in this unpredictable world. But because we know that what is unpredictable to us is already predicted by him. He has written his purposes for us in his own book and numbered our days before one of them was given birth or saw the light of day. Now, we don't always know how God does that. I mean, Ruth is doing what seems best to her. She goes, well, I need food. I can glean. I'm going to go. And she does. Yet God, you see, Not only arranged for the whole gleaning thing, way before she was born. Not only put them in Bethlehem at that moment in time, at the harvest time. Not only set up this field of Boaz. She doesn't know any of that. How does he do that? He's God. Does he do that? And so she goes looking for favor, and she comes to this particular particular place. And it says, no, Boaz, we learn from verse 1, is a worthy man, that he's a respectable man, an influential man. And when he sees her there, what attracted uh, her to him, we don't know. Um, but perhaps he had heard that there was this woman that came back with Naomi. We don't know, but he sees her there, and he begins to inquire about her. He's told about her. And then he begins to speak to her. Um, verse eight. He said, "Listen, my daughter, don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and, and go after them. Have I not um, charged uh, the young men not to touch you?" He says. He said, "Here I am. For whatever reason, I'm going to protect you. For whatever reason, I'm going to." provide for you. And, and and she falls to her face, verse 10, and says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Now, she says find favor. That's the word for grace. She's found grace. You always know when you found grace. You know why? Because you're always surprised. And you're always grateful. If you're not surprised, well, you probably thought you had it coming. If you're not grateful, you probably thought you earned it. But but she, even though she went out in her day, maybe they even prayed about it before she left, that she'd found favor somewhere in this field. But But when she finds it, she says, I don't deserve this. Don't you know who I am? I'm a foreigner. And you get the sense that he wants to say, I know exactly who you are. The fact that you're from Moab doesn't define you. There's something else. And here's what it is. Verse 11, the Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native left, your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a covenant expression. He says, I know who you are. You're from Moab, but you're one of us. You're from Moab, but you belong to God. And you've left everything. You said, I'm not going to depend on Moab. I'm not going to depend on my family. I'm not going to depend on all that's there. I realize that that's a godless place. And I'm going to come to this place. And I'm going to come under the wings of God. I have nothing. And I'm going to depend completely upon him. And if you say, Ruth, describe your life. She said, oh, poor. I have nothing. It's my mother-in-law and me. We have no standing in this place. We've lost everything. We have no property. We have no name. Here we are. I'm trying to glean around the edges so I can get some food for the day. But I'm under the wings of God. When sorrow comes, when difficulties come, and we know they really do. What's our hope? We're under the wings of God. Do we see it at the moment? She didn't see it right then. She was just getting enough of the day. She doesn't know what's going to happen. But she was under the wings of God. And so as St. Clair Ferguson says, we have a quiet confidence. It's sad. It's difficult, but we know something. No, we know someone. We're under the wings of God. And then he blesses her more at lunchtime. He says, come eat at my table. She eats so much. She has a doggy bag at the end. I don't know what they called it then. A sheep bag? I don't know. Goat bag? Uh, she had a doggy back at the end. Can you imagine? When was the last time she ever ate enough to actually be full, let alone have extra? And then she goes to glean a little bit more, and, 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 and Boaz brings his, 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 his people over, and he says, Now, leave a little extra. Drop some. Drop a lot. So that she can, that she can, that she can get it. And so they do. Now, why doesn't he say, "Hey, just go home. I'll send it to you"? No idea. It probably didn't come across his mind. It probably wouldn't have fit culturally in any way, shape, or form for him or his the, the readers in those days uh, to even think that thought. But 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 he says, "Here's how I can do this. Here's how we can we can really really bless her." And so she goes home with an epa. But nobody knows how much that is. But it's a lot. Uh, some would measure it about 30 to 50 pounds of grain, which would feed them for a long time. And not only does he send her home with that, he sends her home with a doggy bag. And not only with that, he says, come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day until we're done. So she has this great confidence that she'll be supplied and Naomi will be supplied for a long time, at least with food. So she leaves there. And she goes to see Naomi. Don't you wonder what each woman was thinking all day long? They didn't couldn't text each other because Ruth wasn't allowed to text at work. And so... Uh, like the rest of us, but 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 she didn't know all day long. She's wonder what she's thinking. Did she find favor? Has she got food? Or is she dead? She wouldn't know. So Naomi, Ruth comes up, and Naomi's glad to see her, and and Ruth is thinking, I can't wait to tell her what happened today, you know. And and so so Ruth gets there, and she says, I got to tell you what happened. I've been, I've been gleaning in this field. Look at all I have. And and Naomi says, Well, whose field? And she said, Boaz. And I just think Naomi starts sucking air at that point. Really? You know, he's a relative. So we get that moment in time. And Naomi says, keep. Keep cleaning there. What did they find when they came back? Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed By the Lord that is Boaz, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the the living or the dead. Whose kindness? Now you have to ask the question if you're reading this: Of whom does the whose refer? Does it refer to Boaz, or does it refer to the Lord? May he be blessed by the Lord whose loving, whose kindness has not forsaken the living. Or the dead. Uh, Commentators are split. So you can read all day long. And what you'll find is different views. But the split ones. Some say oh it has to be the Lord. The split ones say it doesn't matter. Because the Lord was showing his kindness. Through Boaz. What Ruth and Naomi found. When they came back. Was Boaz. The manifestation of the kindness of God. See, when we return to him. We return to him. And we receive kindness from him. I mentioned during the confession time. And I've shared this Hebrew word before. I've even spit it at you before. I won't get the communion table. This is the word chesed. And it is that. Loving kindness of God, that mercy of God, that compassion of God, where God binds himself to his people and he says, I love you and I will love you. If you need anything, you come to me. You're under my wings. And so if you return to me and you need forgiveness, I will forgive. If you come to me and you need comfort, I will comfort. If you come to me and you need protection, I will protect you. You can trust me. You're under my wings. That's his binding way. In fact, as we read through the scripture, it's a word used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Read through the Psalms. Look up. The word hesed, you can do that. H-E-S-S-E-D in English. Find it and read it through the Psalms. I've been doing it all week. What you find is that every psalmist in every situation appeals to God on the basis of his loving kindness. God, I'm in trouble. My enemies are against me. For your loving kindness sake, help me. God, I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm facing death and I'm sorrowful and I'm afraid. For your loving kindness sake, come to me and encourage me. In, in fact, do you know what follows you all the days of your life from Psalm 23? Goodness and Mercy. You know what the word is there? God says, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to hunt you down. Because I've promised to do that. You're mine, and I will keep you. In fact, when David prays, Psalm 51, as we mentioned earlier, when he comes to the Lord, and, and we know David had gr- sinned grievously, boggles the mind to list the deep and terrible and dark sins of David When he comes to confess at that point in time And not only Can we list the sins But also his denial for so long And so when he comes back to God You may think Like some of you may think Well if I return to God What am I going to receive? How am I going to be accepted by him? What will he do? Will he judge me and cast me out? Ah, What will he do? I deserve it And some of you have come to this place Perhaps this morning And you're thinking If I meet God What will happen to me? So David appeals to God's loving kindness. Should he have been thrown out? Yes. Was he? No. Why? Because God says, I will be true to my word. And my word is that I'll forgive your sins. And so in Psalm 63, David writes this. Your loving kindness Is better than life He says without your loving kindness There is no life Without your loving kindness I don't even want to live Without your loving kindness I can't even live How, how can I live With all that goes on In David's life and our lives in the, in the world in which we live how, how can we live Without knowing that God Isn't bound To love us And to care for us And to keep us And, and, and so David says, your loving kindness is better than life. That's what Ruth and Naomi found when they returned to Bethlehem. It wasn't just Boaz, they found God and his loving kindness. They were met with kindness. And so I keep thinking when people come here, they should be met with the kindness of God. When people turn from their sins and and trust in Jesus uh, and they meet us, they, they should be meeting those who resemble God in such a way that they see in us and feel from us and know from us the kindness of God to accept and to love them and we know that when we've sinned and we return to him we're met with his kindness that's so counterintuitive I struggle with that all the time I think well I didn't pray this morning and then somebody calls and says hey here's a tragedy pray for me I go rats I'm not ready for this God won't hear me. I mean, I didn't do thirty minutes on my knees, and I did another hour in the Bible study, and I and 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 I yelled at Karen as I left the house. I was on edge this morning, and and then you know I went through a red light, and and, you know all those things. So God's not going to be going to hear me, and so what am I going to do? Now I say for your loving kindness. Now the way we say it now, we say, in Jesus' name, because Jesus is the loving kindness of God. I read this morning from Titus. In chapter 3, very quickly. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Ah, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Boaz was the manifestation of the loving kindness of God. Jesus is the manifestation of the loving kindness of God. He said, I will save you. I will send you, Redeemer. I will send the Lamb of God. I will send the one who will come and bring forgiveness and redemption. And it's Jesus. When people come to us and they hear the gospel and they repent of their sins. And they say, now what? You say, oh, you live in the loving kindness of God. And they'll say, does that mean nothing bad is ever going to happen to me? And you go, no. You'll live life. But when it does, you'll know that God is at work. You'll know that this wasn't an accident. you know that it didn't just happen. You'll know that God is behind all of this. And so he'll help you. He'll be with you. And the day will come when you'll say, thy loving kindness is better than life. In fact, why don't we start there? Why don't we start there in the midst of it and have come to our lips maybe with tears running down, maybe with our hands shaking out of fear, maybe with our heart beating with such anxiety that we're afraid it's going to explode, maybe with our minds so confused We have no idea what foot to lead with, where to go next. So begin there. Thy loving kindness is better than life. So my lips will praise you. Thus will I bless you. And I will lift up my hands in your name. And you say, help me with that, will you? And I go, okay. The Lord has given something to help us. So I want to give you signs and seals. So I want you to look at the water of baptism. It's my pledge to you. And then this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples. And after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it and he said... This is the loving kindness of God. This is my body, which is given for you. When you remember this, when you think of it, know the loving kindness of God. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me. The apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? We're declaring when we come to him, we're met with kindness. When we come to him, we're met with his chesed, with his loving kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, his favor. And so he says, come to me all you are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. And you say, I don't deserve rest. He goes, I know, I know, I know. But I bought it. Come to me. On the basis of what you deserve. But on the basis of what I've done. And on the basis of my covenant, on the basis that I've promised. And we know when we come to him, what awaits us. His grace. What awaits us is kindness. What awaits us is forgiveness. What awaits us is righteousness. What awaits us is his spirit to fill us, to enable us to follow him. What awaits us is glory. Hmm. Let's pray, Father. Here we are. Pray that you take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of Jesus and to know that we're in his presence is to know that when we come to him, whether it's coming to this table or whether it's kneeling at home or whether it's a thought that we think or simply living in his presence day after day, we know that when we come to him that he will greet us with forgiveness, with righteousness, with comfort, with mercy, with grace. I pray in this fellowship meal, God, as we come together, that we would accept one another as the Lord Jesus has accepted us, as those who have repented and confessed and believed, that we would receive one another with kindness and all who come through our doors seeking you coming to Jesus that we would receive with kindness for we know that of all people we have received that which we do not deserve and we receive it because God you have bound yourself to your covenant to save all who come to you in repentance and faith in Jesus. And indeed, to call us and to give us the grace to believe. So here we are. Seeking your kindness and the blessing thereof. And this we pray. In Jesus' name.